The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Brian Barrett with you here on the Action Line today, and our friends from UTTSU Extension join us, talking lawns and gardens. We're in the height of garden season, I guess, right now. Mitchell Moat joins us this morning, and uh, Mr. Moat, good morning to you. Good morning, Mr. Barrett. How are you? I am well. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Keeping cool, I hope. Well, I am right now. <laughs> yeah. Inside, it's, uh, uh, it, it's hard to do outside. It sure is. It's been a... Long hot summer, we hear people complaining about it. Uh, it it's been hot for a while now. Mm-hmm. It is. Seems like it. You know, June uh, got here and boom, the thermometer went up, and it's it's wanted to stay up that way. I don't know. I can't remember twenty five days, ninety degrees, or you know, or better for a stretch, and we're kind of starting on a new stretch, and yeah, maybe that, the hotter months of the year coming up. Maybe. Yeah, who knows? We'll yeah. we'll know more about it, I guess, come uh, November. Because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's <be> true. <laughs> That's the thing about it. You know, you, it's hard to predict. It's hard to estimate. Typically, July and August are pretty warm in September, too, really. Yeah, uh, and especially the last, you know, last few years, uh, uh, heat has extended on into, you know, September. Maybe uh, there have been a few instances in the early part of October. Uh, so, yeah. It's where we live, I guess, and it's in the times we're in. I guess. You know, somebody um, mentioned to me the other day that we don't have seasons anymore. But, you know, I I remember we had spring. We had some cooler weather. It warmed up, a little cooler weather. That's typical for spring. Yep. Um, Maybe it's not like it used to be, or I don't know. I I bet you hear that, too. I I tend to agree with you that we we do have seasons. They they may not be – you know, maybe we'd have to adjust the calendar to reflect those seasons. I don't know, but uh, you know, we did. Have, I, I thought we had a spring. We had a cool spring. Uh, you know, wet weather, uh, some cool days, some cooler nights. Uh, kind of frosted. Uh, you know, uh, especially the last what two years prior to this year uh, had some very late frost. You know, even uh, good hard frost up around Mother's Day weekend. Uh, so that's well up into May. And you know, summertimes, um, you know, this year has been hot for sure, uh, but there, in the last few years there have been some summers that were not as hot maybe as we thought they would be. Um, not those, you know, 20-plus consecutive days of better than 90-degree temperatures. And, you know, you hear, well, it's, it's not, not necessarily just the heat, but it's humidity. But, yeah, humidity sure matters, but, but, but heat matters, too. Yeah, yeah. Heat yeah. matters, too. And, you know, you think, gosh, uh, how many snows do we have in the winter? I know. Winter I was just thinking that. 21, 22. So, yeah, we, we do we have seasons. They may not be uh, occur at the same time we remember from 50 years ago, but, but yeah, we, we've got seasons. Well, before the last couple of years, it was, well, we never get snow around here. <laughs> and uh, well, we had a couple of, well, two years in a row, I guess, we've had some, some pretty decent snows. Yeah, uh, enough to um, buckle the um, supports on my carport. Oh, two yeah. years ago yeah you know, that was a heavy wet snow it was yeah yeah i mean it broke uh, uh bent over trees uh, small trees and large shrubs and made those limbs hang down well we had some ice associated with it too yeah, yeah so 
That adds weight. Well, it does. And I mean, you know, we, we we can talk about the weather, I guess, but so far none of us have done anything much about it. So. No, we just deal with it, right? We do. We try to. <laughs> try to. So it's, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned that we're kind of in the height of the gardening season and warm season vegetables, you know, they're called warm season because they grow in hot weather. Uh, and it's, it's certainly there. But um, uh, a thing to keep in mind is like tomatoes, for example. You know, they are a hot weather plant. They're a warm season vegetable. But it can get too hot <laughs> for them to produce as well as they should. And we have been experiencing some of those temperatures. Uh, and it's not, it's not only daytime temperatures, but, but certainly when daytime temperatures are, are 90 degrees and above, that influences uh, how the plant's going to grow. But, but nighttime temperatures that, that remain, you know, above 70 degrees influences uh, uh, fruit formation on, uh, on tomatoes and, and, and other warm season plants as well, uh, vegetables. And, and that can, you know, slow down uh, production, slow down growth. Um, gets hot enough uh, they will you know abort blooms they won't they, they the, the, a bloom will form but then they'll shed the bloom they won't keep it uh, and so it won't become you know pollinated and therefore it won't won't produce tomatoes so you can see uh, some reductions in um, uh, in, in production and growth uh, formation of new tomatoes on on the vines um, and you know fluctuating moisture uh, influences that as well influences growth mm-hmm. uh, and influences tomato quality but you know we always have diseases uh, on, on on tomatoes and, and other vegetable plants and a lot of that is uh well, i mean th- those those organisms that cause the diseases are in the environment they're just they're out there and the majority of those are um, fungal organisms they are fungi and they, the majority of those tend to thrive in, in, in warm, humid conditions. Uh, this makes a good environment for them to grow. So we've certainly had, uh, you know, just, just the perfect recipe for a lot of these uh, diseases, uh, the, the foliar diseases that attack tomatoes and other vegetables. Uh, it's been just a great recipe for those to be out there and attack those plants. And, you know, those, you, you try to combat those by the use, with the use of fungicides to help protect uh, the plants uh, from, uh, try to minimize damage, I guess. I don't know that you ever truly prevent them, but uh, you, you can certainly minimize the damage and extend the growing life of those plants. But, you know, the, we also have conditions or disorders that, that are uh, sometimes occur on, on the vegetables and, and tomatoes. And I, I mentioned tomatoes because it's, maybe one of the most popular if not the most popular vegetable out there that folks may not have a garden but they'll have a pot with a tomato in it right things like that so uh, a a common disorder uh on on tomatoes and and this one that we're starting to see a little bit of this year uh i mean it occurs every year but you know unless you're growing tomatoes in your garden unless somebody says something to you about it well you don't know that it's out there um there's a condition or a disorder. It's not a disease, but it's a physical disorder of the plant uh, called yellow shoulders or green shoulders. And that occurs, or, or uh, the symptoms of that, uh, the tomato, you know, grows large. It's got big, uh, good-sized fruit. But the, the, the shoulder portion or the stem end of the plant, the, the, that end of the tomato that attaches to the, to the stem, the stem attaches to the plant, um, it doesn't turn... The, the ripe color is supposed to. It will either be uh, yellow 
okay and that's called the shoulder area of the tomato up there or uh, some instances it may be green and you cut into the into into the tomato and you know the, the tissue inside uh, in those areas is vastly different uh, than it is in the the, the truly ripened uh, section of the tomato and it may be hard uh, you know the flavor is not not good okay basically you know those sections are unusable um and and they will the folks say well it just needs to ripen or no that's not a case i mean it'll never get right because it it, it cannot uh, the uh, you know the the uh, i guess the uh, uh you know the substances that produce that, that green or excuse me that red color or the yellow color the yellow tomato uh they're not there uh the the it, 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 this occurs early uh, in the growth of the little tomato, so it's not something that you know once the once the tomato starts to show that uh, symptom, then it, it it can't be corrected in that tomato. And I said it's a disorder, and, and that uh, uh, there there is there's not really uh, agreement amongst the uh, the scientists as to to what causes it. Now there are instant there are agreements as to what they think probably causes it and uh one of those uh, is uh you know a a uh, a lack of uh or a deficiency of potassium in the plant you know not necessarily that there's not enough potassium in the soil okay but the plant does not take in enough potassium uh during that early fruit formation uh to uh um to keep this from occurring, to keep that condition from developing. Um, also, uh, and, and why, why would there not be enough potassium in the plant? Well, maybe it's because the, the plant didn't take it up because you had, uh, you know, uneven moisture. Uh, you'll, get, you'll be wet and then you'll allow, it'll be dry. And so, so nutrients in the soil, those minerals uh, have to be in solution in order for roots to absorb those and to take them into the plant. And th- so, so if that that condition occurs and the, the ground's got to be wet in order for it to be in solution so if, if the ground's allowed to dry out you know just pretty much totally dry out then they're not the plants not taking the nutrients out of the ground they're not pulling those minerals out so you can have those deficiencies uh heat is associated with it also you know high temperatures 90 degrees and above uh the plant you know will not grow as it normally would so it may not pull the nutrients out of the ground um you know maybe even uh, uh some some speculate that maybe there may be a virus associated with it but right now it's not really affiliated uh, uh it's not considered as a disease but it is a uh, it is a condition so once you know once you have tomatoes that start showing up with that i, I mean if you're going to use a tomato then, then you're going to have to cut out the bad parts i guess and try to you know salvage as much as you can uh, from the fruit uh, and they, they they'll grow large you know nice firm hard tomatoes uh, and that's the key hard you know the mm. those those areas that are uh, that, that don't take on the ripened appearance and they remain hard very firm uh and again just the 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 tissue inside is vastly different than than what ripe tomato tissue should be but if if the plants are still producing and you're putting on small tomatoes you know you could uh, a couple of things you might want to do to maybe minimize uh that same occurrence in these uh, uh, in these younger fruits that are still you know just beginning to form and to come on. Uh, number one, maintain consistent moisture as best you can, and, and so that you know supplying irrigation. Now, fortunately, July so far we've had more consistent moisture than we had in a big chunk of June. That's true. Uh, so that's you know that's a plus. That's a that, that's a benefit, I guess. 
you're not going to do anything about the temperature okay so we can't do anything about the heat but you can uh, maybe apply supplemental uh, potassium uh, as a side dress you know to the soil around the plants uh, to, to to make uh, uh, the available potassium in, in larger quantities in the soil so you know ensuring that there's enough there um, but really at that, that point you know that's about all you can do to to help overcome that and, and some folks you know don't see them and, and there seems to be some uh you know some correlation some varieties are uh, appear to be more prone uh to this to develop this this disorder than do others and you know off the top of my i don't know that there's a good you know listing anywhere it says these tomatoes are more uh, resistant to yellow shoulders i don't think there's been enough research done on that but there does appear to be you know some uh, 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 some relationship between some varieties being more susceptible mm-hmm. than others. So I guess I said I said a whole lot to say. You know what? You get yellow shoulders or green shoulders. There ain't much you can do about it. Just try try to enjoy the. But you know, try to try to salvage some of that tomato fruit uh, and, and enjoy it the best you can. So w- would you remove those stems that are that color from? The well, you plant? see, it's not the stem. You know, it, okay. it's the tomato itself. It's the actual fruit. The it's, fruit. Yeah, okay. the fruit because it's it, it and and that discoloration the the yellow or the green it can be yellow or green either one uh it is on the, the stem end of the fruit itself okay. so you know you got you, you've got the tomato plant uh it blooms it gets pollinated and, and the fruit starts to form okay so the bloom is on the end of the tomato furthest away from the stem and then the stem is what attaches the, the fruit itself to the, the tomato vine. plant okay. so it's on the stem end of the tomato uh you know where you've got the the the, the divot up there where the, where the stem attaches it to it you know when you mm-hmm. pull it off oh boom you've got the the the, the, the kind of any belly button look to it uh, that's that's the side or the, the end of the tomato that this occurs on okay so uh if, if you see that discoloration there that could be what's going on uh, yeah. somebody text in about um they've had a hard time determining what to do with their plants they're in direct sunlight um and it's been so hot and when to water so any tips on the the best thing to reduce the stress yeah uh so and i'm a, they're talking vegetable plants i guess uh, the, uh, this was tomatoes I believe. tomato yeah. okay okay um you know when to water uh, well f- how you water has uh, sort of what water regardless is essential so whatever how however you apply it if you are applying water if you are irrigating you know in a perfect world then you're going to irrigate the ground uh around the plant not not the plant itself okay that's uh the goal is to put the water right on the ground uh because you lose water you lose you lose less water that way you don't waste as much water to evaporation if you use if, if the only way you can water tomatoes overhead sprinkler any vegetable that you know use overhead sprinklers but you're going to lose some water because you lose it to a, a transfer you know evaporation um, some of it gets, you know, intercepted by the plant. And the plants don't absorb a whole lot of water uh, through the foliage and so on. Uh, so some of it gets intercepted like that, and that it doesn't allow it to get to the ground. And so you can get more evaporation, you know, that way. So that water's evaporated off and doesn't reach the root system. So using soaker hoses, drip uh, uh, drip tape uh, that put water directly on the ground, you know, you can run that right along to the base of the plant uh, on the ground level. And, and so that's the ideal way to water, I guess. If you're going to have use overhead water you know watering early uh, in the day uh, is maybe more desirable than watering late in the afternoon because watering late in the afternoon with overhead watering um, in, in what's late in the afternoon well you know when the sun set eight 
30 yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there, in there. Yeah. yeah so you know if you uh you know if you water let's say well i'm gonna let it cool off some and so it, it starts to get uh, dusky so 7 30 8 o'clock time frame uh you know you, you well it's so it's not as hot now so i run the overhead sprinkler on it then when the sun goes down you still got all that free water those that foliage is probably still very wet so that makes a good environment for the fungi to grow in so mm. you'd like for that the you like for the tissue the uh the foliage on the plants to be dried off before the sun sets uh then it's got all night I mean, because we're still staying you know in the mid to upper 70s at night time so you got that warmth you got that humid uh atmosphere plus you've got the freestanding water on the tissue itself on the on the surface of the foliage which makes a great environment for those diseases to grow so watering earlier in the day to give the plants a chance to dry off before the sun sets would be more desirable if you have to use overhead irrigation if you're using drip tape or you know soaker hose where you're watering the ground and not the plant i don't know that it uh, there, there's no disadvantage uh, to, to watering later in the day because you're not wetting the foliage in the first place and you know you can uh uh maybe in rig some shade cloth you know and shade cloth is just called shade cloth because it's a you know it's a screen like material uh that you can uh put over plants it still allows sunlight through but it does reduce the amount of sunlight that comes in uh and and you know shades them a little bit so i mean that's an option too uh, and you can you know shade cloth uh, uh is is going to be available through you know larger garden centers uh uh, you can you can you can purchase it from online sources as well. Uh, you know that's an option too. But uh, you, you know plants growing in full sun, there's not a whole lot we're going to do uh, other than you know maybe shade them a little bit. And, and you know they need sunlight, they do. Uh, so you know how much shade do they need? I know it's a hard you know kind of yeah. hard call to make. But uh, uh, you know 95 degrees is pretty darn hot. Uh, for any of the vegetables so you know if you shade them a little bit and maybe reduce that temperature some that might be an advantage uh, but you know the, the the key I guess is to if you can maintain consistent moisture maintain consistent soil moisture so that uh, uh, the available nutrients can be taken up by the plants and you know the plants don't don't suffer additional stress due to having you know a shortage of moisture uh, in the plant itself. So the <clears throat> best way to reduce the stress on your plant because of the heat is to make sure they have ample moisture that because you can't do a yeah. lot about the other things no you can't do a lot about now you know uh you you could uh you know just 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 syringe the plants i guess a little bit uh in the course uh you know in the middle of the day doggone it's hot out there boom we'll just spray them some uh i mean it's certainly you know middle of the day two o'clock in the afternoon you know the sun's not going to sit till eight o'clock or so you got six hours uh for those plants to dry off i mean that and that will you know reduce heat uh, uh, uh in in the plant itself you know that helps to cool them off a little bit i know that uh you know sometimes done uh on on, on turf grasses uh, uh cool season grasses that are grown say like on putting greens on golf courses uh in in, in the heat of the day uh to to maintain or to, to to minimize heat stress on them they'll it's called syringing and you just you know just just spray them you know give them not, you're not trying to water the ground so much you're just trying to wet the plant and cool it off a little bit mm-hmm. you know that, that that might help some too and um container gardens is there an advantage to being able like if you have a tomato plant in a container that is movable is it you know well yeah then then you've got some options there then you know uh 
I always thought that uh, uh, it, it would make sense, I guess, in some instances, if folks, uh, you know, created some of these planters, you know, in, in, in wagons. And uh, you could, you yeah. know, roll them out in the sun and roll them in the shade or maybe roll them inside at night if it, early in the year if there's a danger of frost, you know, things like that. But, yeah, if you, if you, if you do have movable containers, then, then you certainly could move them out of the most direct sunlight in the, in the hottest part of the day uh, to, to help, you know, minimize uh, uh, heat stress on them. We've got Mitchell Moat with UTTSU Extension joining us today here on the Action Line. If you've got questions, well, he's got some answers for you, maybe. I'm sure he's he's got a plethora of information here. He can find some answers for you or show you in the right direction. All you have to do is uh, call or text those in at 615-893-1450. That's 615-893-1450. Action Line will continue after this short break. Five Star Building Solutions, Tennessee's leading commercial cleaning service, professional disinfecting and fogging services. Visit BystarBuildingSolutions.com to learn how Bystar can clean and sanitize your office or church today. Again, BystarBuildingSolutions.com. Hello, this is Austin Maxwell, and I'm asking for your vote for Murfreesboro City Council. Having served our country for over 20 years in the military, I'm volunteering to serve again as your servant leader on your Murfreesboro City Council. A vote for me ensures that you will have a voice on the council working for you. Early voting begins July 15th and election day is August 4th. Let me go to work for you by voting for Austin Maxwell for Murfreesboro City Council. Paid for by Austin Maxwell for City Council. Austin Maxwell, Treasurer. Turner Security is proud to offer Honeywell Max Pro Cloud for your business. Control your security, access control, and camera system with one app. Arm your security, see your cameras, and unlock a door for a small monthly fee and no contract. Tired of paying for overnight guard service that doesn't work and costs too much? At Turner Security, we have your solution. Attention to the individual with a backpack. You are in a restricted area and need to leave immediately. Video monitoring with real-time live talk from Turner Security. Turn to Turner Security. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell at Music World and Drummer's Den, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We have an excellent sound room with good acoustics. If you want to try on any guitar in the store, if you've got a perfect place to listen to it, compare them side by side, see how the neck feels to your hand, which is important to a guitar player. We have keyboards to play, a room in the back for drums to give a run through with cymbals, snares, whole sets. Come in Music World and Drummer's Den and try out before you buy it. Music World and Drummer's Den. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come see us for all your home lawn and garden needs. We have a great selection of Carhartt clothing. We also have wonderful, unique gift ideas, our Melissa and Doug educational toys. And if you're needing things for your garden, we'd have everything you need to help those gardens grow. Come on over to the Co-op Farm and Home Center just off of South Church on Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Please come see us at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. This is Good Neighbor Events with Bart Walker. Brought to you by AmeriCare Pest Control and the Law Offices of John Day. I've got pesties buzzing, rodents running all through my house. Ants chewing wood and look, there's a mouse. I'm overrun with pests, pests, but you're gonna be sure, safe and secure. It's the last rites for those pests, 
call the best of the best to get rid of your pest. 893-7111. AmeriCare Services Incorporated. Call us today. 893-7111. WGNS encourages you to help our economy and shop local. Let's get behind the Woman's Club of Murfreesboro. The legacy continues this coming Saturday evening at the Woman's Club. They're celebrating 106 years of promoting literacy, history, and women's rights. There's a tour of the historic Woman's Club this Saturday from 5.30 in the evening until 8.30. And the Woman's Club is at 221 East College Street. That's this Saturday. And the tickets are $75 per person. And that includes the food, beverages, and everything. Other things happening around our community. The Farmer's Market, every Tuesday and Friday from 7 in the morning until noon. Farm fresh produce, along with baked goods, plants, meats, cheese, local honey, and so much more. The Farmer's Market, that's over at the Lane Agri-Park, Tuesdays and Fridays from 7 in the morning until noon. And, of course, Main Street, Murfreesboro's Saturday Marketplace, all around the historic Rutherford County Courthouse, Saturday from 8 in the morning until noon. Those are WGNS Good Neighbor Events. Good morning. Watching traffic increase even more 24 westbound up through the Hickory Hollow area. All that traffic leaving Rutherford County headed towards Nashville. Pretty much on schedule. I hear lots of radar up and down. Sections of 840 this morning. Be careful. Hey, there's a high demand for dental assistance. Dental Staff School has an amazing 98% placement rate. Google Dental Staff School. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. few showers and storms are possible in parts of the area very early today. Otherwise partly sunny, highs top out near 95 degrees. Winds turn to the northwest around 5 miles per hour. I'm Phil Jensko on News Radio WGNS. Right now it's 75. A few showers and storms are possible in parts of the area. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Welcome back into the action line here this morning. Um, our phone number to call or text is 615-893-1450. 615-893-1450. Mitchell, I got another text here. Um, says, are you supposed to deadhead Nico blue hydrangeas, but this plant is pink. I just put it out this year and it was full of blooms, but now it looks like it wants to die. I need some advice. So deadhead means that you're you're pinching off the, the 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 fading blooms, the fading blossoms. So that's always appropriate on most any flowering plant uh, is to, you know, when when those when those blooms start to fade and they don't look good anymore, it, it's always appropriate to, to pinch those off, deadhead them. So I think that was the question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, sounds like she's. She's doing the right thing for yeah, those. Yeah, she's doing point. that for sure. And, and, you know, those are plants. The hydrangeas, uh, they are really prone uh, to show to show wilt uh, in, in really hot weather. I mean, there can be adequate moisture in the soil. And, you know, they got these big old leaves, you know, big, wide, flat leaves. And, and well, I mean, I guess big is relative, but they're larger than some. Mm-hmm. And uh, in direct sunlight, they will oh, just kind of wilt, you know, yeah. you see them drooping over. But then as the day progresses and the sun goes away, and while well, they perk right back up, you know, the next morning they're looking good. So uh, probably the best 
in a perfect world you'd like to have you know morning sun and, and, and afternoon shade uh, on those or some afternoon shade on them to, to minimize some stress but uh, it's it's not a bad idea to you know to go out and, and to, uh, to, to, to hose those off a little bit during the heat of the day when they're kind of uh, you know, okay. kind of melting over in, yeah. the, in the sun just but, like you would be yeah exactly <laughs> you know you know, put the water hose on it and, and water hose you know it just reminded me uh uh we we have uh we have regional terms i guess i was why did i just think of that hose pipe hose you know, pipe yeah hose pipe, yeah hose pipe uh and some folks say what are you talking about a hose pipe well, you're not from around here are you yeah my yeah. Uh, my son's wife they kind of grew up early in the early days in in michigan and uh they they don't say hose pipe and it's they like didn't know what a hose whoa, pipe whoa. was yeah <laughs> that's that's the same yours is saying the same thing twice it's a hose or a pipe <laughs> but whatever i don't well know. I'm, I'm, i don't agree with that i mean it, it is a, it is a pipe but it is made from hose versus some go. rigid material I yeah. Guess. So, yeah well i i, I disagreed as well but anyway that, yeah, that's yeah. kind of funny anyway. Uh, Mitchell is here. If you've got any questions, uh, get those into us. Uh, we're kind of running out of time here. 615-893-1450. You can call or text those in. You wanted to talk a little bit about hammerhead worms? Yeah, I thought I'd mention something about that. Um, and I know, uh, it, you know, there's probably been, well, not probably, I know there have been uh, some, you know, new segments throughout, you know, back early, at least earlier in the year anyway, uh, mentioned these hammerhead worms. Uh, um, and and you've seen some, probably some, there have been some social media posts about them. And I don't know, there's been five or six individuals uh, either, you know, send us pictures uh, uh, there at the extension office uh, via uh, email or uh, uh, call or, or bring in, you know, uh, one that they have caught. Um, and, and so I thought I'd mention something about these. Uh, uh, they're, they're called uh, a hammerhead worm because, you know, the what you'd think it would be the head end of the uh, of this, this worm-like uh, uh, organism, this creature, okay, <laughs> uh, is shaped sort of like a, the, the, the hammerhead shark. It's kind of a, you know, rounded, oblong, sort of maybe kind of spade-shaped. Um, but these aren't really worms, as is what we think of as worms, not like earthworms or something. They're they're uh, they are, I guess, a flatworm. Okay, so they are they're flattened. Okay, not rounded uh, like uh, earthworms are, like nightcrawlers and so on. Um, they 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 are a terrestrial planarian. And terrestrial means they're in, they're, you know, we're going to find them in the ground, on the ground, because there are some aquatic planarians as well. So these are, you know, terrestrial planarians or, or terrestrial flatworms, and call them hammerhead worms because that kind of describes the way they look. And, you know, these things kind of a brown color and typically have stripes that run down the length of their body. Um, they they don't really have eyes you know they call that their head and i guess that's the the head end of the thing but they don't have eyes up there and they don't have a mouth up there actually the mouth is on the underside of them and they can be probably you know up to 15 inches long or so uh, but generally more so in the 8 to 12 inch range of people uh, when they find them and uh you, you know they, they they tend to be found more in uh, uh, moist areas like under rocks uh, uh, in in you know plant debris like mulch uh, uh, or uh, uh, you know chopped up leaves things like that uh, in areas that, that retain moisture 
and if, after maybe heavy rains then you may find them you know on the surface because they've got to come up uh, to get you know to get some oxygen just like like you'll see worms on top of the ground you know after heavy rains and so on um and, and you know they're they're unusual looking i guess kind of odd looking um and, and sound like they're a little longer than a typical earthworm yeah, or whatever. Yeah, okay. they are. So it's like, you know, what is this odd-looking worm, this little snake thing? But then you see the head. Well, it's not like anything I've seen before. Um, they, uh, you know, are they are they uh, a problem? Now, they're not from here. You know? Right. They're not from here. They, But they've been around a long time. Uh, probably, gosh, uh, checking some references and, you know, the – instances uh, uh publication out of texas uh, the texas invasive species uh, uh, society or i forget exactly what it's called anyway they, they show references of, of them uh, being found in greenhouses back as early as like the you know 1900 1901 they introduced into the united states and probably uh, uh through uh, importation of plants you know in the soil uh, uh in, in in the root mass and so on they move them around but anyway they are uh, uh they, they feed on a variety of other insects you know they'll eat snails and slugs and uh other you know invertebrate uh, insect species but they also eat earthworms so you know they're well so that they're undesirable i guess in that respect because they do uh will feed on uh you know earthworm populations um and 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 a couple of unusual things about them several and there's there's many species of these uh but they're, they're some of those species secrete a, a toxin uh, uh, which is you know it, it, it's compared to the toxin that these uh puffer fish uh, uh produce oh really yeah and, and so they use that to you know help them overcome their prey uh the, the toxin i guess kind of paralyzes them and and then so then the you know the flatworms or the the hammerhead worms and they you know they eat their prey and probably you know as a self-defense mechanism against against predators and so on so b- because of that uh you know it's advised that that people you know not handle them with their bare hands you know if they find one you know don't pick up your bare hands not that it's going to cause serious damage but probably you're not going to paralyze not going to paralyze (laughs) probably skin irritation Mm. you know and some folks folks may be more sensitive to it than others so some folks might have a you know more of a uh, uh, more of a rash than than others whatever the irritation turns out to be um and and also they they can carry you know some parasites that uh, uh can but uh, uh, people, you know, that can can infect people. So it's advised to not handle them with your bare hands if you find one, and and it's recommended that you kill them uh, when you do find them because you know they are you know detrimental to uh, they do eat earthworms and whatnot. But you don't kill them by chopping them up. You know, you don't take a hoe and and cut it in two. Well, I killed that sucker. Well, no, you created two worms when you do that because they they can regenerate uh, a, a worm from segments. So. Uh, you don't want to chop them up um, if, if you do find one and, and typically people just you know they don't see groups of them you'll see individuals out here so uh, you know using uh, if you got you know gloved hand um, you know put it in a uh, put it in a plastic bag for example with uh, salt you know they've got a mucous membrane and they kind of create that mucus trail sort of like uh, uh, slugs and snails do so the salt you know just desiccates them they'll certainly kill them uh, doing that uh, vinegar uh, will you know you put them in a, a jar with 
vinegar and boom that that'll do it you can you know keep mix up some vinegar or or uh, and some citrus oil you know in a spray bottle and you find one you know you spray it with it you know you got to get it right on the worm or the the hammerhead worm uh and and that'll kill it uh, by doing that uh, uh, putting in a jar of alcohol you know will do that but you don't want to chop the darn things up because then they can have multiple worms regrow from that one uh so so you want to avoid doing that and they're not new uh, 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 dr karen vale she's an urban entomologist at the university of tennessee and uh here earlier uh, earlier in the summer she uh, uh published a newsletter and it, well she publishes newsletter on a regular basis goes out to pest control professionals across the state and uh, there was a section in there about you know the hammerhead worms and there was a research uh study done back in the mid 70s like 73 74 and found that there was a a, a particular species of this uh, uh these, these flat worms were established in in both rutherford and sumner counties uh back in the 73 74 time frame so it's it's they, they've been around here you know for a long time and like i said uh you know this year i've had five or six folks contact us you know about them um it's it's not necessary uh that, that that you report if you find one it's not necessary that you report it to anyone because you know the, the state entomologist with the tennessee department of agriculture i asked him that question uh and he said no they're we pretty well accepted that they're here you know they're established across the state uh so it's not necessary that you know report individual findings of them but um it is uh, they some some researchers would like to have a better idea of their distribution across the state so they have asked that uh, you know individually if you do find one if you can you know before you kill it if you take a picture of it uh and and upload that picture uh to a, a website called iNaturalist iNaturalist.org that's where you can access that uh and and that's uh uh, uh, they ask that you, if you can, upload it to there and include, you know, uh, uh, where you're located uh, and, and a picture of it if you can have it just so they can have a better idea of the distribution of these things across the state of Tennessee. Okay. So, um, you know, and probably, you know, it's not something that it's going to have to be controlled per se because the populations uh, thus far have seemed to be uh, relatively small. So, I mean, if you're growing earthworms, I guess, you know, you certainly don't want to get them in your earthworm beds because you're going to eat the earthworms. But uh, as far as, you know, out in the general landscapes, probably not necessary to uh, – and they're not any good control measures at this point anyway. So, but just thought I'd mention that. And, you know, if you do find one, uh, it is uh, it is an oddity, uh, but you can, you know, you just, just take care of it the right way. If you're using, you know, salt, you know, you can pour it straight on the – you don't have to pick it up. You can If you can get it on the worm itself, that's fine and good. But if you put the salt, you know, a lot of salt on the in the ground near plants can be detrimental. So you keep that in mind. And if you use a spray bottle with, you know, with vinegar or vinegar and citrus oil in it, uh, it if you get that on plant foliage, it'll cause damage to the plants uh, too. But, you know, just keep that in mind. But you can certainly spray them. You don't have to pick them up. But uh, if you do pick one up, you know, with a pair of tongs or some tweezers, whatnot, uh, or a gloved hand, and you put it in a container and you, you know, kill it that way and dispose of it, then you know you got rid of that. Thing. Yeah, for sure. And um, if if you find one, does that mean that you – 
probably have others. I mean, I don't know that it does necessarily. Really? Uh, I, I mean, pro- you would think so. You would probably, think, yeah. probably. But uh, you know, again, you, you, people don't find masses of them. They they, they see individuals, and, and and you know, they may see one today, and maybe you know another one in a couple of days or something like that. But but not. You know, not just just large populations of them at all. That or that has not been reported by anyone at this point. It's not like you find one and then maybe you dig a small hole and there are thirty there. That's, yeah, that's not happening. That, that have not, uh, <laughs> have not heard that, about that, that has not occurred uh, so, so far as we know. Well, if you've got uh, questions, comments uh, for Mitchell Moat, 615-893-1450 is the uh, phone number. We do have another text. We'll get to that after we take our final break of the program, and we'll have our wrap-up here as well. I'm sure that there are lots of things going on at uh, UTTSU Extension we need to share about and uh, also a reminder about the farmer's market. So we'll do all of that before our time is up here on the Action Line. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the places I love to eat out the most and still be able to do so and maintain a healthy weight is at Demas's. You can get those options on the menu online at www.demasrestaurants.com. You can make the decisions that you want to make before you come in. We have options ranging from grilled chicken to fish. You can get it with a side of green beans or spinach or even zucchini. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner at Demas's. Taste of Rutherford this week, July 23rd from 7 to 9 p.m. at Oakland's Mansion Grounds. The summer party is hosted by Main Street Murfreesboro with over 20 local restaurants serving tastings of their best foods for you to experience. Live music with Second and Vine, a free photo booth, Julie's bartending, and a kid-friendly atmosphere for kids 12 and under to eat free. Tickets available on site and online at MainStreetMurfreesboro.org. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, CapstarBank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. A few showers and storms are possible in parts of the area very early today. Otherwise, partly sunny. Highs top out near 95 degrees. Winds turn to the northwest around 5 miles per hour. I'm Phil Jensko on News Radio WGNS. Right now it's 75. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Brian Barrett along with Mitchell Moat with UTTSU Extension. And uh, Mitchell, there's uh, another text here. Okay. This person clarified uh, that they love fresh tomatoes. There are a lot of us out there that do. Uh, But the question is, uh, the heat has made it difficult to grow them. Will the 30 days of triple-digit temperatures push the growing season more into the fall months? Um, I don't know that it will. I mean, you know, the, the growing season will continue until frost. Whenever that is. Whenever that is, yeah. Now, um, you know, a thing to keep in mind is is uh, it, it's not only temperature, okay? Not only, uh, 
temperatures that you know in the right range but also adequate sunlight and as you progress uh, towards fall then day length uh, does start to diminish and so you have less than sunlight so you know it, it is not uncommon to see reduced growth uh, growth rate in hot weather plants uh, uh, as compared to, to, to uh, uh, when you have you know greater uh, uh, hours or more hours of sunlight in the course of a day but you know they they will they'll grow well and and it, in the hot weather i mean you know my tomatoes at home that you know the vines are growing good and uh, they're producing tomatoes uh and it's feed, they're feeding the squirrels because the squirrels are pulling green tomatoes off and enjoying the heck out of them <laughs> but uh uh you know they they are not as productive as they probably would have been otherwise because it's, it's not that you can't grow them, uh, but it, you're, it, it's a, uh, typically reduced growth uh, in, in tomatoes uh, when you have those high temperatures. But is, is the growing season going to go further into the fall than it normally would? I don't know. If we have a frost. In yeah, if we have a frost, you know, if we have a frost first October, then no, yeah. it will not. Yeah. But if, if we have, you know, a typical uh, anything close to, you know, a normal frost pattern, you know, for us, uh, folks say, well, October 15th, you know, that's a frost date. Actually, that's a 50-50 date. Mm-hmm. That there's a 50% probability that it will frost uh, 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 on or after, you know, October 15th. Uh, then uh, once you get, say, uh, towards the, 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 the third week of October, like the 22nd, 23rd, well, then it starts to get a lot greater probability that it will frost then. And then by, you know, the 1st of November, there's a 90% probability it's going to frost. You know, but that, that point that doesn't mean that uh it couldn't happen on october 1st That's it, it, just exactly yeah. exactly well, the probabilities based on you know just based on years you know past years so how things have done that's like you know last year army worms man we had army worms gosh worst army worm outbreak we've had in 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 my career in in 35 years never seen army worms to the extent we saw in home lawns last year and it was not just in Tennessee, but, you know, in lots of areas of the southeastern United States. Up in, well, not in just in the southeast. I think up and down the eastern coastline, just the entire eastern part of the United States for sure, and probably in the western part. I'm not, not positive about that. Um, so folks are asking, well, we're going to have army worms this year. <clears throat> well, I don't know. Uh, we haven't yet. And, and we certainly had them by this time last year, and then they came early. But uh, if I had to bet just based on, you know, past, I'd say no, because, you know, the odds are in our favor that we would not, because we typically don't have them like that. In back-to-back years? Well, or? I mean, we, we, we that was the first time we'd ever had them like that. Oh, so, okay. okay, so that was, you know, that was the outlier. Is that going to be the new trend? Well, I don't know. So far, it has not. Uh and, and and army worms are in Tennessee every year. Uh, they they and, and what folks may not understand is uh, uh, they don't spend the winters here. They don't survive in the wintertime. So they have to be reintroduced every year from further south. And and they fly in uh, as moths. Okay, and they're brought in. You know, from storms from the south. You know, the winds will help carry them up here. So they have to be reintroduced every year. And it typically is in late July or early part of August is when you really start hearing about army worms uh, in Tennessee more so than than other times of the year. Have not heard of a single you know episode of army worms thus far in Tennessee. Got uh, someone hanging on here on the phone line. Okay. So let's grab the question here. Good morning. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, I was caught. I got a hibiscus that I've had white 
flies on it, uh-huh. and I've sprayed it with seven dust, and uh, it kills them. But uh, and I've sprayed with malathion, and it kills them, but they come back yeah. pretty quickly, and it's uh, damaging the plant. So yeah. I didn't know if you had a recommendation of what to spray it with. Or what. I mean, you know, the the malathion will certainly kill them. Uh, it's got a strong odor. Uh, any of the uh, what are called the pyrethroid insecticides like bifenthrin or permethrin or cyfluthrin, uh, any of those that end in T-H-R-I-N um, are, 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 are going to have good efficacy against white flies. And you're not going to have the odor uh, off of the uh, off of those that you will off of malathion and, and you won't have the you know the visible uh, uh, residue that you'll get with the, you know, the seven, uh, like with seven dust and whatnot. So that that they're they'll they'll do a good job of killing the white flies that are there. And you may have a little more residual control maybe with some of those, but none of them are going to last a super long time. And uh, you know they they can be reintroduced, but those will do a good job of, of killing them. So when you see populations there, you know if you will, you know spray those. Uh, uh, any one of those insects and a lot of brands will use those those are just active ingredients but again bifenthrin permethrin cyfluthrin um, you'll find a lot of brands that use one or more of those ingredients so any of those would be uh, would work for you so, as long as it ends in T-H-R-I-N? T-H-R-I-N, thrin. Yeah, so like bifenthrin, uh, permethrin, cyfluthrin uh, would work for you. Okay. Does that okay. answer your question? Yes, sir. All right. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate the phone call. Um, Mitchell, we've got uh, our our time kind of dwindling away here, but uh, farmer's market going strong. Farmer's market's uh, busy, yeah. Uh, Here lately, there's been, uh, you know, heavy shopper uh, uh, pressure, I guess. A lot of of visitors, a lot of shoppers at the market. And uh, tomorrow uh, is, is Friday, so that's market day from 7 until noon. Uh, lots of lots of uh, hot weather vegetables are are in their peak right now, so should be good selection of those things there. Uh, and you know maybe some some kettle corn. I don't know if the vendor will be there tomorrow or not, or maybe iced coffees. But uh, you know there's some of those vendors are typically there too on market days. But uh, yeah, from seven till noon at Lane Agri Park, all the way back. Uh, of course, you got early voting going on at. The, the the Land Agri Park is an early voting site, so they're set up in the in that middle building in the uh, the conditioned space of the livestock barn. So early voting is going on there too. So it could be a, could be a busy day at Land Agri Park tomorrow between the voters and the uh, and the farmers market folks. Yeah. And uh, if anybody has additional questions before uh, the next time uh, you're on, I, they can oh, stop by the extension absolutely. office. Absolutely, stop by or give us a call at six one five eight nine eight seven seven one zero. Where you can you can call between eight and four thirty Monday through Friday. If you want to send an email, my email address is mmote m m o t e one at u t k dot e d u. Very good, Mitchell. Thanks for stopping in. Thank you, sir. Mitchell Moat joining us today here on the Action Line.